Hello, I'm CM Conway, the filmmaker of the witty and poignant indie, How to Successfully Fail in Hollywood, now on Prime Video, and FunnyFailureFilm.com. On this now monthly podcast, we celebrate funny flubs, bodacious blunders, and miraculous missteps that happen to us as artists. So hone your funny bone and let's get started. Happy fall and welcome to our show. This podcast is inspired by the big-hearted indie, How to Successfully Fail in Hollywood, a film dedicated to the bold dreamers and artists in Tinseltown and throughout the world who live boldly, creatively, and work every day to make the world a better place, trying to make their dreams come true. The film follows Ellie and her gay Latinx friend Ben, who are on an adventure of self-discovery while pulling back the curtain and revealing a treasure trove of secrets about Tinseltown while unearthing their own true identities. Though they may have some funny flubs along the way, they find a unique way to use their slip-ups as stepping stones and are not afraid to laugh about it now and then. And that's what we do on this show. So if you're an artist and you've had a mishap that's happened in your creative journey and you would like to share it on the show, please visit funnyfailurefilm.com and click on Share Your Story. On today's show, we're finishing the last half of the chapter entitled Life in the Theater. This is from a book called The Seven Stairs by Stuart Brent. It was published in 1962 and is an autobiography of Stuart Brent, who in 1946, he followed his bliss and he opened an independent bookstore in Chicago. The book is filled with stories and anecdotes of rubbing elbows with celebrities. And he actually started a weekly TV show in which he reviewed books, which benefited his business very well. The story is performed by Phyllis Vincelli and is a LibriVox recording in the public domain. On stage, we again worked all night. It was a mess. The director was in a rage. He scowled, threatened, exhorted. Everybody was going to pieces. No one talked to anyone. On Monday morning, we started at 10, planning to rehearse up to curtain time. But at 5 in the afternoon, Miss Darnell told the management she would not appear, and under her contract, they could do nothing but accept her decision. We went back to work that night and rehearsed until five in the morning. Came Tuesday afternoon, and we were back again in our black hole of Calcutta. By now, we were all more than a little hysterical, and the language would have been coarse for a smoker party. Some of the players were so exhausted, they slept standing up. But now the play was finally getting underway. Zero hour was approaching. The curtain went up, and the show began. Opening night was incredible. In scene after scene, lines were dropped, 
cues forgotten, and ad-libs interjected to a point that it was almost impossible to stay in character. The actress, who claimed she had played her part as an ancient dowager for the last twenty years, everywhere, I even played it in Australia, forgot her lines and was utterly beside herself. She said never had she been subjected to such humiliation. One actor tripped over her long morning coat and fell on his face. A bit of a nut, anyway. He got up gracefully, muttered some inanities, and tickled the old dowager under the chin. She reared back, nostrils flaring. All this time, I was sitting at a piano, observing the scene, feeling like a somnambulist. But the play went on, and although it certainly improved during its run, the relations of the cast did not. Every evening we came in, put on our makeup, and dressed for our parts without saying a word. One night I lost a shirt. Another night an actress had her purse stolen. On another occasion, a fist fight broke out between an actor and an actress. Backstage life went on either in utter silence or in bursts of yelling, screaming, and hair pulling. The atmosphere was thick with hostility, but on stage it was as though nothing outside the world of the play had ever happened, unless you were close enough to hear names still being called under the breath. It was crazy. Many of us in the cast were asked to appear on television interviews to promote the show. A good friend of mine, Marty Fay, who has had one of the longest continuous runs on Chicago TV, asked me to appear on his late evening broadcast. Since the gossip columnists in the city were already having a field day over the strife at this well-known summer playhouse. I told Marty and his viewing audience my reaction to the affair and to what I had seen of the theater in general. I had no idea I was exploding such a bombshell. From right and left, I was attacked by everyone, including the lady who had had such a horrible experience playing the dowager, as a traitor to the theater and its great traditions. By everyone, that is, except Miss Darnell and her leading man, who agreed that something might be done for actors if the public knew of the conditions under which they so often work, and of the wretched, tragic life they so frequently have to lead. What a terrible waste this amounts to! No wonder you have to be virtually insane to pursue a career in the theater. Herb Lyons, the Tribune columnist, couldn't stop laughing over lunch the day I told him my experiences. Irv Kupsinet, the Sun Times columnist, however, whose talented daughter was among our struggling players, failed to see any humor in the situation. But the real payoff came when checks were distributed after the first week of our engagement. For the week of rehearsals, I had received the munificent sum of $35, but my salary for actual performance was to be $250 per week. My check for the first week's work 
was $18.53. What happened to the rest of the money? Well, in the first place, I had to join the union and pay six months dues. Then I had to pay the full price for any seats I reserved for friends or relatives and even for a seat for hope. Then I paid for the daily pressing of my suit and the laundering of my shirts and even a hidden fee for the use of the dressing room. Finally, there was the usual social security and withholding tax deduction. But the whole Kafka nightmare was well worth it. In spite of acquiring at least one enemy for life and no monetary profit at all, I gained some friends who take the theater seriously and in a treacherous business are determinedly making headway. In addition, Linda Darnell, a person of great sweetness, has become a cherished acquaintance. It is not often one comes out of a nightmare so well. There were so many twists and turns in this tale. It was quite frankly comical, and perhaps that was intended. And it was satisfying to hear how Stuart flipped his failure and this experience. I did enjoy hearing the silver lining that he received. And if you're an artist, you know when you make connections with other artists, and those connections have endured over time, They really help you along your journey, and you help others along their journey. As an artistic community, we really need to stick together and help each other row the boat forward. Thank you for joining us in the How to Successfully Fail in Hollywood podcast, copyright by Showstoppers and FunnyFailureFilm.com. Intro and outro song, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star by David Mumford. Until next time, remember, mistakes makes art more interesting.